So we're going to go over Daniel 70 weeks. Uh, this is really the futurist end times timetable. So I've been talking about uh, different lenses, right? And uh, so we're going to actually look at dip for some different uh, lenses at this text in Daniel 9 uh, with the different lenses of interpretation. Um, of course, my lens is the futurist lens, and, and there's a reason for that because I think that personally is the most supportive for the text. But we're going to look tonight at the, the other lenses and how they interpret uh, these passages um, uh, in Daniel. Uh, but first, we're going to look at Revelation 7, because that's what's uh, 14. Hi, Mike and Cindy. That's what's bringing us into uh, this whole Daniel 7 week to answer the question, what is the Great Tribulation? And I think there's sometimes some confusion about that. There's a Great Tribulation, and then there's just normal Tribulation. So, um and usually it's the context that will determine whether it's talking about regular tribulation or the great tribulation, okay? And this comes up actually twice in Revelation. This, this well, once the phrase great tribulation in Revelation itself, but it's also alluded to in the letters to the churches because one of the churches is promised that it will not go through the tribulation that is about to come on the whole world. So um, so those would be the two direct references. But as we go through this information, we're going to find out that Revelation is actually quite a bit of Revelation's content is about the Great Tribulation, okay, even though it doesn't use that word in the book uh, very often. So in Revelation 7.14, remember, it, this is the, the sixth seal opening, right? No. This is the vision. Seven is an interlude. So it's not a six seal. It's a vision of the saints, right? These multi this great multitude before the throne, right? And uh, John wants to know who they are, and the elder wants to tell him, right? And he thinks John should know, right? They're a great multitude. But they're saints that have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So what we're going to try to answer tonight is what this reference to the Great Tribulation is, and we're going to do that by looking at Daniel's 70 weeks. And maybe you haven't even heard of Daniel's 70 weeks, but Daniel's 70 weeks is God's timetable for uh, Israel specifically, but for the end times uh, thing. Now, 69 weeks of Daniel's 70 weeks have been fulfilled. There's still a week that hasn't been, uh, according to the viewpoint that I take. And so we're going to just kind of sift through that. And we're going to go slow. Um, if I don't get this all done tonight, that's okay. But I, I want to have, I want to get comprehension. I want to get understanding. So feel free, if I lose you, to ask me questions. And we're going to be reading some commentaries and stuff because they've said it better than I could say it. Okay. Then normal tribulation. Yeah, so normal tribulation would be trials that we have or persecution. Like, like right now, uh, statistically, the church, Christians, are more persecuted in the world than, than any time in history. Okay, that's a statistical fact. Okay, but that doesn't mean that they're in the great tribulation. 
Does that make sense? And, and uh, as Americans, yes, we're, we're in a cultural war in a sense, and we're losing some liberties, but overall we're not very persecuted for our faith on the scale of persecution. Does, does that make sense? So we, but, but tribulation can easily mean just trial. So I got up this morning, you know, I was, I was a grump. I'm, I'm just giving up because I, I wasn't really a grump today. But, you know, my, you walk the double, right? That's a form of a trial, right? You had 25 kids at the after-school program today. You didn't. But that would be a trial. You see what I mean? Yeah, so that would be, that's where we're coming to. Yeah, so that would be, the futurist perspective would be that white horse is the Antichrist that opens with the, the Great Tribulation. It begins the process. What did you say? Well, that would be, well, the Antichrist, in my opinion, shows, on, shows up on the scene before, like at the beginning of the seven-year period, and then he breaks his covenant halfway through. So the, w the white horse that comes out with the bow but without an arrow to conquer and to conquer, he's coming out, the lack of the arrow is showing that he is conquering and conquering without aggression, without, by peace, by, by wars. And so the Antichrist shows up on the scene, uh, in my opinion, and even by looking at some passages in Daniel, which we'll look at some of them, but he shows up on the scene and, and makes a peace with Israel. And that peace lasts for three and a half years. And then it's cut off. And then he uh, makes war against the saints. So then he goes aggressive for the other three and a half years. And, and, th and then he almost changes, like, identity. I think you, if you remember, well, in my sermon when I talked about that passage, I talked about the white horse, the, the fourth seal being the Antichrist, and then I reverenced Revelation 13, where it talks about the beast making war against the saints. So the Antichrist and the beast are one and the same. So trying to keep all these pieces together. Yeah, so this is, w what we'll find out by 70, Daniel's 70 weeks is this is a seven-year period, and we'll find out why we call it a seven-year period We'll find out why they use the terms times, half a times, or 1,262 days, and things like that. That may, is that, yeah. Okay. So let's take a look at the four most controversial verses in the Bible. Really, they are very controversial. Um, if your future, everybody has a different lens on this, and if they're bringing a different lens, then that th these verses really determine how you interpret prophecy. This is like Daniel. The book of Daniel is really a key to prophecy. These Daniel seventy weeks are really the the unraveler of of prophecy. So how you interpret this determines how you interpret the rest of prophecy because. All of, a lot of the prophecy after Daniel reference back to, back to this point and to this timeline, okay? Especially from the futurist perspective. So there's a, there's a lot of different opinions, and we're going to look at those. But first, let's just read the text. 
So turn to Daniel 9, uh, verse 24. Now, in Daniel, he starts this prayer, and he, in Daniel 1, and he starts, he's been fasting, um, and he's fasting and praying for the deliverance of Israel from the captivity of Babylon because it had been written in Jeremiah that they were to be in captivity for how many years? Anybody know? Take a guess. 70 years. So 490 years would have been in uh, captivity in Egypt. But in Babylon, they were only in captivity for 70 years. Okay? So he, he's asking God about the 70 years time that they had in Babylon. And God decides to give him an answer concerning the future 70 years. Okay? So that's kind of how this builds itself. But that's important because the context speaks to why they were in captivity. You know, guys, know why they were in captivity? Why did is, uh, Israel go, in, go into captivity into Babylon? What was one of the reasons, or the main reason that, like, Second Chronicles gives us? Anybody have any ideas? They didn't keep the year of Jubilee. They didn't let the land lay fallow. And so God said, because you did not keep the Sabbaths, then, then I will cause the land to have its Sabbaths, and you will not occupy it. It will lay desolate for 70 years, okay? Okay, so 70 weeks are decreed for your people and your holy city. Okay, so Daniel is a... He's a, what's his nationality? He's Jewish. Okay, just make sure we want to know that. His holy city. What would Daniel say? That's my city. What, what city? Jerusalem. Okay, I just identify those things, right? Okay? My city would be Squim. I, I, you know, but, it's, so, but Jerusalem, okay? <laughs> to finish the transgression... Okay, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin. So the week's purposes or goals is to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in an everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint the most holy place. Okay, now those are six different goals of these weeks. Okay, and interpreting or finding, I think, a good, strong, valid interpretation of Daniel 70 weeks, we can't lose sight of those goals, right? So if their, their interpretation doesn't fulfill those goals, then would it be a good interpretation of Daniel 70 weeks? No, it would not be, because it would not be consistent with what the passage says, right? Okay, so then, so this is like the overview, and then he begins to unpack it, okay? He unpacks it with, with some statements, okay? Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one or the coming of, the mess of a messiah, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, okay? Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moats, but in Troubled times, okay? Okay, so there, there's, there's two phrases. We have one week, 
right? And then you have 62 weeks, okay? Um, and then it says, after the 62 weeks, an anointed one, or the Messiah, shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince, not the same person as the Messiah, that definitely adds a difference there, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and the end shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Okay? And he, the prince that is to come, will make a strong covenant with many for one week. Okay, so now we had one week. We had 62 weeks. Now we have what again? One week again. Yeah, so we have three divisions. And for half the week, now we have broken the week in half, right? He shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wings of abomination shall come the one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolate. Okay. Okay. So let's go over the goals of the seven weeks. We can't lose sight of that because if we lose sight of that, then it's then we could go all over with these interpretations, right? But if we understand the goals and then say, okay, were these goals accomplished? Yes or no, right? And if the answer is no, then we would say, well, that's interesting math, but I guess it doesn't fit the fulfillment because these are the goals for the 70 weeks, right? So the first one is to finish the transgression, right? And this is all talking about, and to put an end to sin, this is talking about the work, in my opinion, of the cross, right? To atone for iniquity, right? Right? This is really all, these three are talking about the state of man, of man, and the state of the world, okay? And so these things have to be fulfilled. This is the purpose of Daniel's 70 weeks. So this is the first three. Now the second three uh, reply more to uh, God's rule and God's reign, to bring in an everlasting righteousness. An everlasting righteousness. To seal both vision and prophet. So to bring in an everlasting righteousness, that's pretty straightforward, right? That would mean that righteousness prevails, right? Right? Uh, to seal both vision and prophet, that's a little bit more confusing. What does he mean? Right? Well, let me just put it this way. If vision and prophet have ceased, then you have seen God face to face. Right? Because the reasons we have visions and prophets, visions are to show us the future. Prophets are to proclaim God's word and to proclaim what God is going to do. If we're with God, do we need visions and prophets? No. Okay? And then to anoint a most holy place, right? To anoint a most holy place, this, or to set apart, to make special. Just think, I, I always, when I think of this, I think of God dwelling with man, right? That, that's the, what's the most holy place? God dwelling with man. So as we think through these, we're going to look at four different views, okay? And we're going to ask ourselves, are these goals accomplished? If the answer is no, then that's not a legitimate 
interpretation, elaboration of the text. Does that make sense? Okay. So he's going to take care of sin, iniquity, right? Transgression, uh, make atonement, right? And then he's going to bring in the next phase would be an Edenic state, right? Righteousness prevails. Prophecy, tongues have ceased, you see, right? Visions have ceased. And then he's going to anoint a most holy place. God will be with men. Okay. So the goals of the 70 weeks should be used to measure fulfillment. Okay. Any questions about those? Like, are they confusing? <laughs> Is there like, oh, I, I didn't know that. Or, oh, okay. Any questions? It's okay if you have a question. In fact, it'd be great if you did. Yeah, and we'll get to that math, and we'll actually, yeah, lay that out. But yes, the first three, in my opinion, are fulfilled in the cross. Oh, let me grab my water. Okay, so there's four views of interpretation. We're going to look at each one. It's going to be a little laborious, but I think it'll help us kind of unpack it and know, like, when we're having a conversation with somebody, we'll understand kind of where they're coming from and why they're coming from that. Because I think sometimes that's part of the reason we get confused about Revelation is because we get this snippet and this snippet. Does that make sense? And we don't understand why there's all these snippets, and then it's hard to just kind of put it together. Right, and and a lot of times it's because like uh, your pastor or your teacher tends to like to talk about the view they like. <laughs> Does that make sense? Rather than talking about the other views, and I'm going to try to be fair with these views as much as I can. Um, I don't agree with all of them, but I'm going to try to present what they present as well as I can. Okay. So the first, uh, the four views of interpretation. The first one is they are literal years, and that, that I do agree. The literal uh, uh, one week equals a year. Okay, did I say that right? Yes, it's specific time periods. Okay, one e one week equals seven years. Yeah. Um, so they are literal years extending to the, but, but here they say, okay, it started at this point, right, and it goes up to the period of time of Atechines, uh, uh, the fourth, Antiochus, the fourth Epiphanes, okay? So they say that it started at, at, at the decree, at the, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem back in eight, 586, 
and then it goes up through. So it, it was a prophecy, but it, it, it already happened. It's already been fulfilled. And it goes up to Antioch, Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who is a type of Antichrist. And that's part of the reason why they get it to meld with this, especially because of Daniel 7 that talks about Antiochus Epiphanes, okay? Doing some of the very things that the Antichrist will do, okay? So it's almost a twofold prophecy. But they say they don't, so I will go with twofold. They will go with one way. It's not twofold. It only talks about this. It's already happened, okay? And it's a literal years starting from this time period, okay? The sevens or the weeks are made up of seven years each, resulting in a total of 490 years, which we, which I will agree with, but the way they count them and what they count from, I don't agree with, okay? Um, 70 times seven. The challenge is there is much difficulty with three groups of seven matching the historical accounts. So if you try to make the years match and land like in precision, right, with these different events, they don't really match up. For example, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, his persecution of the Jewish people is not seven years. It's shy. Does that make sense? Right? So, so it just doesn't match up. And so it, and then my second point would be they put the cutting off of the anointed one at a, at a high priest who was killed, right, in the, in the history. I can't remember his name, but they put it there. But I have to ask you this, and I have to ask myself this, and ask this view this. Are the goals of the 70 weeks fulfilled? Not unless you make them totally symbolic and mean nothing, right? Which is definitely not the purpose that God is giving to Daniel, right? Right? And atonement, sin, none of that is taken care of, right? Uh, eternal state or anything like the eternal state? Righteousness lasting forever? You feel like right? if that was fulfilled, we'd be good. You see what I mean? Now, they would say that it's fulfilled in different ways, so they try to, but they, they over-symbolize it, right? So that it almost means nothing, okay? Okay, the second view is that 77s are all symbolic. They're not literal years, right? The symbolic periods of time ending with the 4th century A.D., okay? The challenges of this view is that really the context does not give permission to interpret the 70 weeks as symbolic, okay? The, the, the text is dealing with it as literal periods of time. Now, it is talking about it in a way, in an indirect way, right? It's not saying it would be nice if it just said 490 years, right, or 49 years, and then I'm terrible at math, but, you know, if it didn't make you do math, Right? But the symbology is not, con and then it's not consistent within the week. One, one period is huge, one period is super short. Does that make sense? So they have the, that trouble. And then they have the second problem is, is they don't fulfill the goals of the 70 weeks. 
okay? Now, they kind of begin to because they're saying it's ending in the fourth century with Christ being killed, okay? So that's maybe the, the first part, the, the putting an end to sin, the, the end of transgression. But even then, because you could take that, that in a couple different ways, uh, the atone for iniquity is without a question Christ, right? Right? Without a Christ. A question Christ. But, uh, and you could argue Christ has put an end to sin, and he's finished up. He took on the whole sin of the world upon himself, right? So he finished up the transgression. So you could argue that, and I think that's a good argument. But you could also say to this, uh, is there sin, still sin? And we would all say, yeah, because I sinned yesterday, right? Is there still transgression, right? Is it still going on? Yeah, yeah. So, so this could even have, these first parts, have looked to the cross, right? But then cro the cross, as we all know, this is a famous phrase of already, not yet, right? The cross has taken care of sin. There's, he took on all the, right? But yet, it is going to come to its culmination, its fulfillment in the end. Does, does that make sense? And so, so does this, uh, wow, it says one, one, one. Okay. That's weird. Does this, uh, this one give this idea of heaven? right? The new heavens. It definitely doesn't. It might get to the first three, right? The cross, because it brings it up to the AD period, right? But it doesn't even begin to get to the, the bringing in of endless righteousness, right? The, the closing up of visions and prophets, right? You, you see what I mean? The, uh, the anointing of the most holy place. It just, it falls short. Yeah. Yeah, these are preterists. Yeah. Reformed. So like Presbyterian churches. Lutheran. Some Lutheran churches. Uh, some people in all congregations, which is fine. I mean, you can have that view. There's nothing wrong with having it. Yeah, well, yeah, full preterist, you don't believe Christ returns, so, yeah. So, okay, then the third is there are symbolic periods of time ending at Christ's second coming. So this actually is getting closer to probably the camp that I'm in. Um, the 77s are prophecies of church history, both Old Testament and New Testament church. From Cyrus's decree in 538 BC until the return of Christ at the end of the age. Okay? So, this view does allow for the goals of the 70 weeks to be accomplished. Okay? Does that make sense? Because it's going to the end of the age. Right? But the challenges to this view is the subject nature of symbolic periods of time. Does that make sense? 
you make it symbolic, now you can make these time periods anything you want, right? And yet they're starting at a point, right? So they're saying, oh, literal here, it's starting at this date, <laughs> but symbology for the rest of it, right? It's not consistent. Does that make sense? Um, the second challenge, and this is definitely my dispensational lens, okay? Um, dispensationalism really uh, is, a, is a structure in which looks at Scripture and one of the biggest uh, uh, defining factors is that we see the church and Israel as two separate entities. They are the people of God, but they're two separate entities. Does that make sense? That Scripture deals with separately. Okay? The church is separate from Israel. Okay? Two separate entities. God made promises just to Israel. And God will fulfill the promises he made just to Israel. Now, there is, it's called replacement theology. It's in the Reformed thought process. And that is that they backread the church into the Old Testament. So every time it talks about Israelites or Old Testament saints, they call them the church or the Old Testament church. I don't think, in my opinion, that that's good biblical exegete, okay? So uh, that's <coughs> the subjective nature of the symbolic periods of time when the biblical context does not give any any indication of that, and then the replacement theology of the church being backread into a text that clearly is talking about Daniel's people, which are Jews, who make up Israel, Daniel's city, which is Jerusalem. Okay? You can't defute the text on that, but they're backreading, they're taking passages out of Galatians, and then backreading that back into the Old Testament and inserting that into the Old Testament. And so then they would talk about the, the, uh, the church age and the church being under persecution and the church being in the time of tribulation. Do you see? And, and, and the, as we go through, we'll find out that the seven years has the church in it, which we saw in Revelation 7. But we also saw in Revelation 7, that fourth part, it's also about the Jewish people. Does that make sense? And, and that the tribulation really is a disciplining of Israel to bring Israel back to God. That's why you see, I think, the 144,000 being sealed, right, after the first six seals are broken. Now, I think there's some good debate as when they were sealed. But I think there's a reason why the author of Revelation puts them sealed, that, that interlude, after the, the first chapter. He doesn't start with that. So, we've got to be careful about replacement theology. I think there's a lot of times where uh, we, can, we assume or we bring on the promises that God made to Israel, Right? when we're reading passages like Jeremiah or the Psalms, okay? But there are some promises that aren't made to us 
that we don't attain. Does that make sense? Not in the same sense, like land promises. Right? Israel will occupy the land because those are promises God made to them. They don't become null and void in some spiritual significance, which is what a replacement theologian would do. Does that make you see what I mean? Okay. Um, so this lens is a futurist lens, uh, but from a reformed perspective. Does does that make sense? And specifically, a replacement theology reformed perspective. So I don't want to place all reformed as replacement theologians because they're not. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is the view that I take. It's a dispensational futurist lens, okay? So they are literal years ending with Christ's second coming, okay? This view agrees with the force, force that the sevens are literal seven-year periods totaling 490 years, okay? The first sevens, 49 years, commenced with the command to rebuild Jerusalem, okay? Either the decree to Ezra in 458 B.C., okay, or the decree to Nehemiah in 445 B.C., okay? You could pick either one. I like 445, but either works with the math, okay? And we're not getting super creative, we're not jumping through hoops. It walks with the math. And terminate with the completion of the walk of Ezra and Nehemiah about 49 years later, either 409 or 396 B.C., right? So it just depends. The next 62 sevens, 434 years, extends from the end of the first group of sevens to Christ's first coming. Okay, either his baptism in AD 26 or Christ's presentation of himself to the peoples as Messiah on Palm Sunday in AD 33. Okay, I prefer the late, the AD 33 date, um, but that's just me. But either of those days work, and each of those dates are on a significant event that can be dated. Does that make sense? And the math fits. I'm not a mathematician, but it fits. I trust those guys who do math. And I can do math with a calculator. It's just adding and multiplying. So after the coming of Messiah, he was rejected by Israel. Remember? Okay. And the time of the Gentiles began. Now, this is where it gets kind of tricky. This is where we begin to bring in other contexts from the scripture to break this up. The time of the Gentiles is a phrase that is used very much in scripture. Paul uses it several times. He calls the church period the time of the Gentiles, okay? Uh, and he calls the period that he's in the time of the Gentiles, okay? 
which is not counted in the 77s, because the 77s are for who? Israel. They're not for the church. Okay? That's important to take note. During the last seven, which immediately precedes Christ's second advent, there will be a terrible time of tribulation for Israel and the world. Okay? So this last seven is the time of great tribulation, the day of Yah- beginning of the day of Yahweh, which culminates in the second coming. And I think one thing that I always was confused is because I always took the tribulation and the day of Yahweh as two separate things. But, but they're not. They're two different ways of talking about the same thing. Okay? The day of Yahweh is also the d- discipline of Israel and the judgment of the world, which is what the great tribulation is. And it culminates in the second coming of Jesus. Okay? Because the day of Yahweh is not one day. The day of Yahweh, it would be, according to what I just said, would be the seven-year period, culminating in the day, uh, in the second coming. Okay? And I, and I say that because it's, it's just full of language that you see repeated that overlap and interweave. Does that make sense? As you look at the data. Now, not every commentator agrees with that. They, they would separate those two. But I think those two are, are the same. Culminating. They both culminate in the second coming. Because the day of Yahweh, or the day of the Lord, is, the day, is a day of its wrath, right? And we see very clearly in Revelation 6, for the, at the end, for, them to, for the stones, the mountains, to fall on them and hide them from the wrath of Yahweh and the la- wrath of the Lamb, right? The wrath of God and, and the wrath of the Lamb. And all this language that we see here is congruent or in agreement with all the Old Testament passages of the day of the Lord, the day of Yahweh, okay? Okay, so there's a break. That's So 69 years, the 69 weeks, 490 years, no, not 490, yes, have been fulfilled, okay, according to this view. They've been fulfilled in Christ's first coming. Now we're in a break, right? And it's a break for an undisclosed amount of time. And I would say that that's, part, that's one of the challenges of this interpretation. Does that make sense? Because the text doesn't really indicate any break there. We're bringing in this break by bringing in other language and other, other passages that instigate this break. Does that make sense? So it's not unbiblically founded, right? But it is, it is being pressed or overlaid onto the text. Now, oftentimes there are breaks in, the, in literature, right? You can read several prophecies that they just wrap it up all into one and the, it's broken up. But the, the original prophecy doesn't indicate any break. Does that make sense? So it's... No, because, so, prophecy is written 
since they're kind of trippy. I think it's written more to be able to see clearly by looking back than by looking forward. Does that make sense? And so, and then, yeah, so it's not always clearly delineated where those breaks breaks are. Okay, so there will be a, a terrible time of tribulation for Israel and the world. So it's both Israel, it's the discipline of Israel, it's the forming of Israel, the calling of Israel back, and then it's a judgment of the world. Like, we just did the, seven, the six trumpets, right? Actually, we only did four trumpets. We have three trumpets more to go. And this Sunday, we're going to only hit two of them. <laughs> so, um, but, but those trumpets, they were on the world, right? We got the, the grass and the trees, Florida being them all born up, the many people dying, right? And then you have the sea, right, getting struck. And then you have the water getting struck, right? All natural, natural disasters, supernatural ones, right? Um, and then <coughs> you have light being affected, right? These are judgments of God on the world, okay? So uh, here it says at this time, so during the tri tribulation, a great majority of people in Israel will acknowledge Jesus as the promised Messiah, repent and be saved. That's the purpose of the 144,000. And we know that a great number of people that aren't Jews will be saved. That's what 714 is all about, right? Or the great multitude of seven, right? Because obviously those people are not Jews because they're from every tribe, every, na every nation and tongue, right? Romans 11.25 says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. So Paul is telling the Romans, who are majority Gentiles, okay? They're in Rome. He says, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hoarding has come upon Israel, okay? Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Okay, so Israel is not interested as much. Now, there are Jews that are getting saved, but it's not in record numbers. You see what I mean? And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As is written, the deliverer shall come from Zion. He will banish the ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards to election being chosen, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts of God and the callings of God are irrevocable. Okay? So he's going to accomplish his mission and his purpose for the Jewish people. That's going to happen. Now, when it says all Israel, does that mean that every Jew, every ethnic Jew ever was going to be saved? Is that what that's talking about? No. It's, but it does mean that Every ethnic Jew that confesses Jesus as Lord and sees him as Messiah will be saved. Okay? And it does mean that God will fulfill his promises to the Jewish people. The promises of land. The promises of reigning. That's what the thousand-year reign of Christ is all about. The promises being fulfilled to Israel. Because where is he ruling from? Jerusalem. 
from Israel over the nations of the world. Okay? And that's part of the promises that he made to the nation Israel. All right. Man, you, I don't know if you could read that. That's pretty small. So the final seven years would be terminated by Christ's second coming and establishment of his earthly kingdom, which will last a thousand years. That's the millennial, the, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Okay? Um, a preterist doesn't, is an, typically an all-millennialist. They don't believe in the millennial kingdom. Or they believe it's uh, right now, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, like Christ is ruling in heaven and then ruling through us. And then it is our job to evangelize the world to the point of Christ being established. We bring in the kingdom. That's a post-millennial, yeah. I don't think there's a whole lot of support for that view. It puts a lot on us doing God's work. No, it's, it's not, sadly. So we have to ask ourselves, th does this view accomplish the goals of the 70 weeks? I think it does. I think it does very well. With a literal interpretation, it just has that gap, right? That's the only, that's a big wrestle. But if we talk about the time of the Gentiles, right, then it, that gap doesn't fit that difficultly, right? Um, right, right, they just, just yeah. Well, the first view says it's already done, right. right? But, yeah. But then you have a whole time <laughs> jiving that with the rest of Scripture. Yeah. Um, so, and then second, the immediate context, which I already taught, doesn't give any indication of a break between 69 weeks and the 70th week. And that break seems to have an indefinite period of time. I've, I've already talked about that. But I think that as a rule with, uh, with prophecy, oftentimes there's breaks and the author, as he's writing it from his vantage point, doesn't even know there's a break. Okay, so where does the concept and meaning of 70 weeks come from? Are we just pulling this out of our hat, you know? you know, the magic trick, or are we just saying, oh, this is what fits, so this is what we're going to go with? I mean, it fits, so that's part of, yes, a good idea, but it's not just pulled out of a void. So let's take a look at this. Um, Leviticus 25.8, this is interesting. It says you shall count, what, seven weeks of years. So here we go, right here, the key of Scripture is talking about seven weeks of years, Seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. So we got the math equation right here. And this whole pa passage, you, you go and read about it, it's all about the year of Jubilee. And it's, I have my brother, he's named Jubilee. <laughs> so 
Um, but it's all about the year of Jubilee where you're celebrating uh, God's provision. You're letting the land rest. You're releasing anybody who's been indentured to you, right? Um, it's a great time of celebration and freedom, right? And the Jews didn't follow that. They didn't do that. They, they disobeyed that. And so then uh, when you see Daniel praying in chapter 9, this is why he's praying in chapter 9, because the time period that Jeremiah had prophesied has, is coming up. It's that 70 years. God took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword because, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbath, its jubilee, all the days that it lay desolate to keep its Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Okay? And then Jeremiah 25, 11 through 12 is that prophecy. This is whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon. What does it say right there? Seventy years. Then after seventy years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So, years, the first point was years fit well. Days don't fit in the context. Weeks don't fit in the context, right? Years actually fit well. Second, so Hebrews are familiar with the concept of sevens of years, right? As well as the days because of the sabbatical year was based on this premise. They're called hectads, okay? Every seventh year, there was to be a Sabbath of the rest of the land, right? God promised that if Israel did not keep these Sabbath years, they would be driven from the land and scattered among the nations. Right? And that's what happened, right? So according to 2 Chronicles 36.21, one of the results of the seven-year Bab Babylonian captivity was the land was allowed to rest in order to make up for the Sabbath years, which we just read, right? To uh, years, which Jews had failed to keep. Therefore, in Scripture, only two types of weeks are sevens are mentioned. Sevens of days and sevens of years, right? All agree that days is not a valid option in this context. Only seven of years remain. So this isn't just poorly pulled out of its hat. It's a very strong, strong scriptural support to actually mean sevens of years. This is why I would say just saying, oh, it's symbolic, and now I can do whatever I want with the year period is not good because it really flies against the context of what scripture is referencing. Does that make sense? And then the other thing would be uh, in the first one where they're saying, yes, they're literal years, but then they're saying, but... They miscalculated, right? I would say, no, that's not legit either. It's got to fit or it's, got, it's not going to fit, right? So if the persecution is not full seven years, we have problems, right? In Antioch Epiphanes, the fourth, persecution was not seven years. 
So he is not the Antichrist. He is a Antichrist, and many Antichrists will arise. Isn't that what Jesus said? Right? So if the fourth view is applied to Revelation, which is what I do, that's what I'm doing. I'm applying the fourth view to Revelation. It bears out that Revelation 4-ish, I mean 6 really, but 4 and 5 are setting up for 6, okay? So Revelation 4 through 22 covers the 70th week of Daniel, which is the Great Tribulation, okay? Which is referenced in what we read at the beginning, Revelation 7.14, right? Which is also referenced in Revelation chapter 3, telling the church there that they won't go through the tribulation, which is going to come upon the whole world, okay? And that when you're looking at tribulation and you want to figure out, is it talking about the great tribulation or is it just talking about my trial that I'm going to go through next week, would be the context of it talking about it being global, okay? So, um, Daniel chapter 12 also talks about the great tribulation. I'm not going to read it here tonight. Um, but it talks about Jerusalem and Israel uh, going into the great tribulation. If this is the case, then references to this period of time will help us with understanding the timeline in which the great tribulation, the day of Yahweh, okay, unfolds culminating in the second coming of Jesus, okay? And it culminates in the second coming of Jesus. So this third part of the prophecy, this 70 weeks, is a prediction of the final seven-year period, okay? So how long is the tribulation period? How long? Yeah, seven. How long is Revelation 4 through 22 or 21 covering? How many years? Seven years. Okay, so, and, and we know that from context. Does that make sense? I'm just not pulling that up and saying, okay, I'm going to put this, but really context seems to determine that. So we have seven years. Now, there are references in Revelations, Revelation, not Revelations, but Revelation to time periods. And we need to be like, ooh, what's that? And we're going to come up on some of those. The third part of the prophecy and the prediction of the final seven-year period or the 70th week will begin when the conquering prince, okay, the, the conquering prince who is to come, or also known as the Antichrist, the Antichrist, not a Antichrist, but the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant of peace with the many in the leadership of Israel. Now, it's a firm covenant of peace. That's why... The rider who comes out on a white horse, he's riding on a white horse, he looks like Jesus, has a bow which shows strength, and he's coming to conquer to conquer, but the bow is not it's, not, it's not a bow and arrow, he just has a bow, right? And so this is really part of what I think speaks to that person, that opening being the beginning of the tribulation. Some people try to say that it starts at the trumpet, but I would disagree. I think it starts there, and this is why, or that is why. 
and he will make a firm covenant with peace with the many of the leadership of Israel. Although some consider this prince to be Christ, which is a minority view, but there are people who do, establishing a new covenant and ending the Old Testament sacrifices system, it's, it's really not coherent, right? It's inconceivable that the Messiah would be the one who would commit the abomination of desolation. I mean, it's like, why? Right? But it does make sense that that right horse Rider would be one and the same with the Revelation 13. I believe five is the voice. You have a question? You were looking. It just says a bow in his hand. Yeah. It could say I had a bow and arrow, but it didn't. Therefore, he is more accurately, this uh, writer is more accurately identified as the Antichrist who would desecrate the future temple and stop worship in it. This covenant is yet future and will mark the beginning of a time of oppression of the Jewish people called the time of Jacob's distress or the time of Jacob's trouble or the tribulation period. Okay, we're going to look at both of those passages. Jeremiah 37 says, oh, Oh, I thought I was. Well, maybe we will in a minute. Did it not update? Well, in the middle of the week, so in the middle of the seven, so three and a half years, or after the first three and a half years, the Antichrist would break his covenant with Israel, leading to a time of unprecedented persecution of the Jewish people, as well as the followers of Jesus, Okay. And that will last for another three and a half years, okay? Um, and then he points to Daniel 7, 25, Revelation, Revelation 11, 2, 3, and 4, 12, 14, 13, 5. Um, this is that Michael wrote that. Oh, here, so Jeremiah 37, okay? At last, that day is so great there will be none like it. It is the time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. We're talking about the day of tribulation. In this context, if we were to blow it up and go read 30, it's talking about the redemption of Israel and, and God calling him back to himself. And then, of course, we're all familiar with this passage, and uh, we've read it many times, but when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the, by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Okay, So this first view that we were looking at totally disregards this voice. Does that make sense? Because if God, is, Jesus is talking to his apostles, telling them to look for the abomination of desolation, as spoken of by Daniel the prophet, that couldn't be the one that Antichius Epiphanes the fourth committed. Because it, it already happened. Now, the preterists say it does happen again, right? When the Romans sacked the city, that's definitely an abomination of desolation, right? But it's not of the same nature. Does that make sense? The temple doesn't get any, uh, in AD 7, it doesn't get any uh, got, uh, sacrifices made on it by two Roman gods. It gets burnt because a file get lets out and then the <laughs> soldiers tear it apart to get the gold. In fact, there was instructions 
not to destroy the temple given to, to like to the soldiers like don't set it a file right and it and it's believed that fighting broke out obviously in the temple area because it's a raised area and the file was an accident it wasn't intentionally lit on fire But here we see he's speaking of to his apostles saying, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand and then let those who in Judea, in Judea flee to the mountains, right? Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house and let, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to his cloak. Now, this, these things that he's saying here are definitely true of AD 70, right? I mean, you, you don't want to be around Jerusalem at that time, right? I mean, it's, it's a bad deal. And at last, for the women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing and infants in those days, pray f that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then it will be a great tribulation so that's a key phrase there, right? A great tribulation such as not has been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be, right? So it's very unique. And in those days, though not been cut short, a human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And if anyone says, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it, right? For false Christ and false prophets will perform arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray even possible even the elect see i've told you beforehand so if they say to you look he is in the wilderness do not go out if you they say look he's in the inner rooms do not believe it for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west so will be the coming of the son of man wherever a corpse is there the vultures will gather it's like they're saying right So verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Oh, and then shall be the coming of the Son of Man, it says in verse 30, I believe. I don't know why that didn't get in there. So Daniel 7.25, speaking of the little horn, okay, coming out of, it says he, he that I believe this is speaking of the Antichrist, uh, also Antioch Epiphanes, this was a partial or uh, foreshadowing of this, shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hands for, now this is a key phrase of Revelation, but this means three and a half years, times, times, and a half a time. And then Revelation eleven two three says, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out for it is given over to the nations and they will trample the city for 42 months, three and a half years. Yeah. And I'll grant you authority to my two witnesses and they shall be prophesy for 1,260 days. Yeah, clothed in sackcloth. And then... But the woman was given to the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to a place where she be nourished for a time, times, 
time and times and half a time. Can I have yours? And that God protects her. That God protects a remnant of Jewish people that are in the city. Does that make sense? When the Anavite Christ goes up there and makes that sacrifice on the Temple Mount, and then they flee, and then they he pursues them. Right? The, Satan really contrives to go get them, and God supernaturally saves them. And there's a lot of debate where they go, right? Like, they go somewhere where they're safe. Um, Jordan is Petra is one of the things, but that's just, that's speculation. So, but, yeah. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. This is the passage I referred to a couple weeks ago when I was talking about the horse rider. Um, And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, three and a half years. So God has a plan. Isn't that cool? But uh, we can trust him in it. And I think the biggest thing that I always keep coming back to is sometimes this seems like so far out. Does that make sense? And kind of confusing. But God, if God has a plan for the end of the age, and I can trust him in that, then God has a plan for my day my week, my month, my, my year. And if I, if I can trust him with the end of the age, then I definitely should be able to trust him with my day, right? And even how my day goes, I don't know how many times I come to the end of my day and I'm annoyed, <laughs> right? Because my day didn't go like I, I'm, I, I guess I'm sometimes too much of a planner. My day didn't go like I had planned, right? I had these goals that I was going to accomplish today, you know? And then, I don't know. It's not like I'm undisciplined, right? Life happens, right? But God orchestrated it, and I can trust in that. That's how big a God is. Then something bad happens. I can trust that God is taking the bad and using it for good. Think about this. I mean, not that God's judgment of the world was bad, right? That's a good thing. But, it's, but, it, but it has, like, really negative <laughs> results on the people on the world, right? Right? But he's using that same judgment to discipline, to redeem Israel. <coughs> right? That same brokenness, right? The first four writers are humans, most likely, or angels or demons controlling humans, I mean, however you want to take it, right? But it's humans, fighting humans, right? God is using humans (laughs) to punish each other, right? Just like God used Babylon to punish Israel, right? But for his people, right, it's not a punishment, it's a formation, it's a refinement. Pretty cool, huh? So it it is cool that we can trust him in his prophecy, but... And perhaps, <laughs> I understand tidbits, <laughs> right, of it. Because he's revealed it to us, right? And he's given us minds to think logically, right? As long as we're trying to be consistent with good uh, Bible study tools, right, we can get kind of pieces of it. Should we be dogmatic about some of the stuff? No, not at all, right? 
The only thing we should be dogmatic about is Jesus is coming back. Right? Any questions or comments about the content? We did go over quite a bit. So Daniel 70 weeks helps us define the Great Tribulation. Because the Great Tribulation is Daniel's 70th week, the last week of Daniel. Also known as the time of Jacob's troubles. Because the Great Tribulation is mainly about Israel and its saving of Israel. And the judgment of the world. The day of Yahweh. Yeah, because he's not emphasizing that. Yeah. Yeah. Because his audience is not mainly Jewish, right? He's writing to, I mean, the majority of people who bought that book are American <laughs> Protestant Christians, right? And I, I don't have anything against uh, Jenkins. Um, but I sometimes I, he, he does a lot of... Uh, theological uh, imagination there, right? And can make some things a little misleading. But, yeah. But it's good that you recognize that that's a lens, that that's, that's something you've read, right? And so then that's something that's informing either consciously or subconsciously as you read the text, right? Now, it can become conscious all the time in the sense of you're saying, oh, yeah, that's why I think that, because that's right there in chapter 10 of uh, Left Behind, <laughs> you know? Um, right. Hey, yeah. Ah, well, you're saved. <laughs> yeah, because he brings, but he brings, so what you're really truly praying for is true peace of Israel. So when you pray for the peace of Israel, you're praying for Messiah, Jesus, to come back and establish that peace. That's what you're truly praying for, Right? So so when I pray for the peace of Israel, and I do quite regularly, that's what I'm praying for. I'm not praying for a false peace to come. Or for, you, you see what I mean? And I believe that there will never be total peace until Messiah, till Jesus comes and brings that peace, right? There might be some false pieces. I mean, and in some ways, there's peace, there's a, a tender peace in Israel right now. Israel is like one of the most, one of the safest cities, Jerusalem, uh, countries to travel to. It's, it's safer than going down to uh, South Chicago. Right? So there is a peace there, but not the peace that we are actually praying for. Yeah, and th but then see, then we have Israel and the church it's all remade. Does that make sense? And that's a lasting peace, right? And I would even say that millennial, I mean, depending on the millennial kingdom and, and how you dice that, I, 
I think sometimes we get stuck sometimes in our time frame. I think we will have a literal millennial kingdom. I don't think we necessarily have to have that little rebellion at the end. Um, I, I, I think that there's enough flex in the text that that could be like before. Yeah, or that he's actually bound and then not, I mean, the releasing is different. Yeah, there's, there's some flex in the text there. Definitely if you're not, so definitely as dispensationalists <laughs> um, and futurists, we like to read Revelation very linear, meaning on a timeline. Um, but I think Revelation does have some cyclic aspects to it. Um, and so we could make uh, some cyclic things going on there. But, right, there's some, <laughs> right. One, we already know, like, we're talking about seven has this interlude. So, I mean, does that make sense? And we're going to get into a bunch of little interludes or talking about time periods um, where they're popping out and, you know, or, or expanding on a time period, on a time period or on a specific s uh, seal or scroll or, or trumpet. Um, so, but I think that the thousand-year reign of Christ is definitely a thousand-year of peace, and, and then the time of unrest is super short. I mean, it's like almost like any consumed them with fire, and that was the end. <laughs> I mean, literally, it's like three lines, right? It really is. He was released and he gathered all the nations, right? But Gog and Magog battles, that, I mean, it's like a type. Does that make sense? So Armageddon is a Gog and Magog. I don't know if I'm making... You got it happening different times with that same type. They're using, it's an archetype. And then I think, you know, even in heaven, you have the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven and, and the new earth, and they're intermingling. But if you begin to look at, like, the layout and the symbology in the new Jerusalem, right, you know, you have the foundation stones, which are the 12 apostles, right? You have the gates, which are the 12 tribes or patriarchs. You see what I mean? So you have this, you still have distinction, of the church and Israel, even in the eternal state. Now, in regards to salvation, we're one, right? In regards to salvation, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no barbarian, there's no Scythian, there's no male, no female, right? All are one. We all get saved by faith through grace. Or grace, yes. Grace. God's unmerited favor. Faith, that gift of God that he gives us. All right. Prayer requests? Praises? Cindy. Okay. 
So uh, praising the Lord for the catch up with the old friends at the wedding. And and then we're praying for Linda. Okay, praying for Linda, a friend of 61 years with a lot of health struggles. boy. Yeah, so where do they live? Okay, so a little ways away. How'd you meet them? And as far as you know, no gospel background or anything. Okay. Greek Orthodox? Okay. The gospel's in them, but you kind of have to wade through it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Abby, do you have something you want prayed for? You have a prayer request? How about a praise? What's the funnest thing you did today? You got to hang out with Dad? Wow. Wow. Okay. Pam, yeah, how's she doing? Did you see her today? Okay. Oh, she's dealing with some chaos, huh? Okay. How she she say anything about like healing up or? She didn't talk about pain, so it must not be. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. Well, yeah. Well, well, the Lord knows, so we'll pray for Pam. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you've got the plan of the world in your hands and that you have our lives in your hands and help us to trust you in that i just uh thank you for the good time that mike and cindy had at the wedding catching up with old friends and new friends and just having a great time um <laughs> we just pray uh for her friend linda of 61 years wow what a privilege um just pray for her physical needs that you would just meet her there and just bring healing and 
and strength. Pray for as as many who is fighting terminal cancer and hospice has been called. Lord, we pray that you would just show up there in a mighty way, that she would see you, she would know you, she would confess you as Lord, that you would bring your healing power into that situation, Lord, and that many, many would be saved through this. We pray that you would meet them, Lord. Holy Spirit, convict. Holy Spirit, heal. Bring you glory, Lord. Can we pray for Pam? Lord, we thank you that she seems to be healing up okay from the the uh, hip surgery. Um, Lord, as her sister has came to help her, but brought her husband. And Lord, there's so many relational dynamics that we have with family, and it can be challenging at times. And Father, we just pray that you would just uh, bring grace, um, bring peace, uh, bring good communication, um, and we just continue the good healing of Pam's hip, Lord, and that she would be a good testimony, a witness of your love and your grace to her sister and her uh, brother-in-law, and Lord, that they would be uh, a good help and a good support to her during this time. We just ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so who's volunteering to draw the abyss for me or demons? It's going to be scary. They got like scorpion tails and human faces. Yeah, I don't know. Could be apocalyptic for sure, yeah. You're going to drop me a flower? We're going to draw a flower and then draw it on fire. How about that? <laughs> yeah, the key to the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless fit, pit and smoke rose like a great furnace. The sun and the